Hello, I'm Noel Lim, and you're tuned in to Maybank's ASEAN Speaks. This week, we consider the reasons for China's delayed economic plenum, assess Indonesia's inflation jump, consider multi-year market trends in Singapore, and outline our equities strategy for the Philippines. Chua Habin, co-head of Macro, moderates the call. Hey, hi, good morning. It's um, Monday, 4th December. So just a quick recap of last week. So hopes of a US soft landing and an early Fed pivot next year lifted financial markets. Dow Jones was up over 2%, while the gains in S&P and NASDAQ were smaller. Wall Street's fear gauge, the VIX, fell to its lowest level in four years. October inflation data for both the Eurozone and the US continued to fall, supporting these hopes for an earlier rate cut next year. The Eurozone inflation fell by more than expected to 2.4%. That's the slowest since July two years ago. The US core PC price index, that's the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, registered an annual pace of 3.5%. Fed Chief Jay Powell, in a speech on Friday, however, pushed back on speculation that the Fed has won its fight against inflation and indicated that it was far too soon to rule out further rate increases or to start discussing rate cuts. Other US data last week, personal spending rose 0.2% in September, the smallest increase in six months. Housing permits came in above expectation, but actual starts surprised on the downside. Weekly jobless claims ticked down, but continuing claims jumped by more than expected. So the US economy appears to be in a Goldilocks scenario, not too hot, not too cold. Bond yields fell to a three-month low. Asian financial markets were more mixed, uh, digesting the PMI readings across the world. ASEAN PMI stabilized in November, with the manufacturing output reading at a three-month high. Singapore's PMI expanded for a third consecutive month, while Singapore's electronics PMI climbed above 50 and into expansion territory after 15 consecutive months of contraction. China's PMI was more mixed. The official PMI fell into a second straight month of contraction, but the private sector survey showed manufacturing activity picking up. Profits and industrial firms in China increased just 2.7% in October, down sharply from the September gain of 11.9% and value of home sales fell by about 30% in November. China's stock markets reacted to the negative data and fell sharply last week, um, given concerns about a fragile recovery. The blue chip CSI fell 1.5% last week, while the Hansing index fell by over 4%. We'll have Erica later to share her views. ASEAN markets are generally flat for the week. Singapore, Philippines down slightly, while Malaysia, Vietnam, and Indonesia up slightly. Uh, just to highlight as well on the US-China rivalry, the Biden administration um, last week moved to choke off China's role in the U.S. electric vehicle supply chain. The U.S. Treasury announced that from January next year, no U.S.-made electric vehicles with Chinese-manufactured battery components will be eligible for the full subsidies offered by Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. The new rules will reduce the number of EV models that qualify for the full tax credit of 7500 per vehicle. Argue, critics are arguing that this change will slow the transition from petrol fuel cars and raise the prices of EVs. Uh, this week, um, investors will be watching the US employment data that's out on Friday to see whether growth is slowing. Consensus is expecting about 180,000 jobs uh, for November, uh, given the return of some auto union workers. Other key data include the US uh, November ISM services PMI, US October factory orders, uh, central banks in Australia and India will be meeting this week. For China, there'll be data on November inflation, trade, and services PMI. Singapore retail sales also will be out this week. On the um, 
and as well, I think markets will be looking at uh, China's Evergrande um, court case uh, today, whether the Hong Kong courts will be moving and force um, moving into liquidation. As well, on the COP28, the World Climate Survey, whether to see any major commitments will be made. That's, um, so this week we have um, Erica on China and Bank of Thailand's meeting, Brian on Vietnam and Indonesia, Dylan on Singapore strategy, Anand on ASEAN strategy, Jeremy on Petronas third quarter results and implications for the oil and gas sector, then Rachel on Philippine strategy. So let's kick off first with uh, Erica. China's PMI data for November was released last week. What are the PMI signaling about the economic recovery? Morning, Hapin. Um, so the November PMIs for China showed that um, even though um, manufacturing performance continued to be patchy at best, um, the standout message was that the reopening bounce in China's services sector activity has well and truly run its course. Uh, so the official uh, manufacturing PMI, which is more tilted towards uh, state-owned enterprises, slipped deeper into contraction. Um, it was uh, 49.5 in October. October and it slipped to 49.4 in November. Uh, whereas for the Taishing uh, manufacturing PMI, which is more tilted towards uh, SMEs and also more volatile, that showed a surprise bounce to 50.7 in November uh, from 49.5. Um, whereas um, for the non-manufacturing sector, um, it was quite a disappointment to see it uh, actually slip very close to um, the, the contraction line. So it's um, in November, it ran at 50.2, um, so uh, slipping from 50.6 in October. Uh, so this actually um, also um, uh, was highlighted um, as pointing to continued falls in external demand and domestic demand uh, because both PMIs um, showed um, uh, declines in export orders as well as um, employment. So um, we don't think this bodes well for either external or uh, domestic drivers for China. Back to you, Harpin. So, Rekha, presidency appears to have delayed and postponed a key economic meeting that's held every five years. I think it's planned um, that meeting charts China's long-term reform agenda. So how important is this key meeting? Why the delay? What do you think this means for economic reforms? So there are normally seven plenums or meetings dotted around um, every Communist Party five-year cycle. And... Uh, Customarily, the third plenum is devoted to um, the economy. So, and it is held uh, usually in November. Uh, so, um, um, we think that uh, one signal um, out of the the possible postponement of the third plenum um, is uh, likely that uh, the leadership is currently preoccupied uh, by resolving uh, more urgent issues um, in the economy, such as uh, the property market slump, as well as local government finances, um, and that they would like to settle uh, these burning issues first um, before they're in a better position to discuss uh, the longer-term direction of the economy. Uh, so we think it's a pity uh, it, 
it will be a pity if it's not held um, because uh, the leadership would have missed uh, an opportunity to communicate its uh, long-term economic vision uh, to everyone. Back to you, Hakbin. Thanks, Erica. Switching over to Thailand, Bank of Thailand left the policy rate unchanged last week, but cut their growth forecast. What are the main takeaways from the meeting? Are you expecting any more interest rate moves for this year and next year? So the Bank of Thailand uh, was widely expected to keep rates unchanged, um, but we, uh, as widely expected, also it expressed less hawkish sentiment uh, towards uh, the economy. So it cut uh, growth and inflation forecasts, and now um, it sees growth actually um, proceeding uh, in a more balanced way next year, driven by both uh, investment and consumption, uh, as opposed to uh, growth this year, it, which was uh, overwhelmingly dependent on private consumption. Um, also, uh, what was noteworthy was that the Bank of Thailand actually put out two sets of growth scenarios um, as a sign of uh, lingering uncertainty. Uncertainty uh, surrounding the rollout of the government's digital wallet scheme. Uh, so um, it actually saw growth without uh, the digital wallet scheme um, uh, proceeding at 3.2% next year. Um, so it was a, a huge downgrade from the 4.4% um, with the digital wallet um, previously. Um, now, uh, including the digital wallet, it sees growth coming in only at 3.8% next year. And what was um, interesting about the, the Bank of Thailand's forecast uh, was the set of forecasts for 2025 actually sees uh, growth with the digital wallet uh, falling uh, to a, a lower rate than uh, the one with the digital wallet. So the in 2025, um, including the digital wallet, GDP growth is forecast by the Bank of Thailand uh, to come in 0.3 percentage point lower. Uh, so uh, overall, we see that um, the Bank of Thailand's hiking cycle has likely ended. And going forward, uh, we uh, forecast that uh, the next possible cut might happen in the third quarter of 2024. Back to you, Hapin. Thanks, Erica. Uh, Brian, Vietnam released a slew of economic data for November. Is the economic recovery intact? What does this imply for fourth quarter GDP growth? Morning, Hapin. Morning, everyone. Yes, we think that the economic recovery remains intact. We're seeing more green shoots in manufacturing and exports in the November data as uh, external demand picks up. Industrial production growth, for instance, accelerated to a six-month high of 5.8% year-on-year in November, with the index rising 3% from the previous month. And this is corroborated by employment data. So as of 1st November, the employment at industrial firms was just 0.2% lower than a year ago. And this compares to a 1.4% drop as of 1st October. And if you look at the month-on-month prints, headcount actually picked up by 0.9% month-on-month. And this suggests that businesses are becoming more confident about demand prospects. Exports grew for a third consecutive month after multiple months of declines. Uh, it grew by 6.7% from a year ago. Now, this was partly due to the low base. 
in addition to uh, green shoes in external demand. Uh, the product split was mixed with uh, electronics, for instance, registering nearly 20% year-on-year growth, while garments and footwear still remain in contraction. In month-on-month terms, uh, exports pulled back by 3.6%, but this is not unexpected given that there is usually a seasonal surge in October due to order fulfillment ahead of November festivities such as Black Friday and 11-11. On the consumption side, retail sales uh, grew by an upbeat 10% from a year ago. This was the fastest since May due to reopening tailwinds and in travel, hospitality and FMD. But that said, I think if you look at the financial results of uh, listed companies that are exposed to the consumer sector, uh, they are still reporting that uh, that that revenue is not that upbeat um it's still down from a year ago so this contrasts with the official data from the gso uh, but meanwhile um, robust public investment con- continues to support the economy uh, climbing by nearly 20 percent from a year ago in november now the pickup in exports and manufacturing in october as well as november alongside supportive fiscal and monetary policies implies that fourth quarter GDP growth may improve to around 6% or so from 5.3% in the third quarter. Back to you, Harpin. So, Brian, Indonesia released the inflation data as well last week, uh, which showed headline inflation rising to a three-month high, driven largely by food prices. So, should we be worried about this jump in inflation? Will Bank Indonesia react on, or stay on hold at the next meeting? No, I don't think that it's much cause for worry with this latest headline inflation print. Ultimately, underlying price pressures remain modest. So core inflation held steady at 1.9%, which uh, is considerably lower than um, just a few months ago uh, when it was closer to 2-3% or so. Uh, if you look at the breakdown, inflation continued its downward trend for most other categories, including household equipment, clothing, recreation, so on and so forth. The sole cause of higher headline inflation in November was the rise in food costs. We are maintaining our headline inflation forecast at uh, 3.7% in 2023 and 3% in 2024. Inflation should ease from current levels in December and the first quarter of 2024. Uh, although food prices are likely to remain elevated with El Nino and also the um, seasonal you know, year-end consumption in the Christmas and New Year holidays, but uh, food inflation in year-on-year terms will ease considerably as uh, base effects unwind. And uh, what's more, underlying inflation should remain benign given the stable domestic demand. As for the BI, we're expecting the central bank to hold its policy rate in December, given that the rupiah remains broadly stable. Recent comments from uh, Governor Perry suggest that BI would maintain its benchmark rate going into 2024. Back to you, Hagbit. Okay, thanks, Brian. Dylan, you released the Singapore Strategy Report on your reflections in 2023, what were some of the major themes and opportunities this year in Singapore? Which sectors and stocks were the big winners and losers? Yeah, morning, Hugbin. So I think a lot of investor focus was centered on interest rates and inflation. But underneath, we saw three major themes coalescing. Uh, the first was the convergence of technologies uh, with the rapid adoption of Gen AI together with a boom in demand for 5G and IoT. We think this will drive increased efficiencies as well as new revenue streams across multiple sectors. But 
if I was to focus on one sector, I think the banks will be amongst the earliest beneficiaries, uh, especially for AI. Uh, they've already been spending around 15% of their OPEX on their technology platform for the last five years. So they already have a bit of a head start. Uh, the first areas that we think um, that'll be, that'll show the impact will be the middle offices and the back offices uh, where efficiencies will increase for things like risk management, compliance, as well as for fraud detection and things like that. For DBS alone, we're looking at around 700 million thing of economic value added in the next five years from the existing AI infrastructure. The telcos will also benefit as well as uh, the tech manufacturing companies who are also emerging from slump. The second theme is uh, a slow China was actually had a bit of a positive spillover uh, coming into Singapore from uh, AUM as well as supply chain relocation trends. Uh, we think uh, area uh, sectors like financials, transport, gaming, consumer will benefit from this going forward. Uh, finally, we saw uh, as a team uh, a lot of local corporates going overseas with m a as they leveraged on strong balance sheets, uh, the strong Sing dollar, as well as some of the low regional valuations. We think this, is, this will benefit uh, some of the financials, healthcare, transport, technology, as well as some of the industrial names as well. Hagbin? So Talia, I'm jumping the gun a bit, but can you look into the crystal ball and share some of your reflections and thoughts about next year? What are the major themes? Which sectors and stocks do you think will emerge as winners? So I think a lot of the trends that I just talked about are multi-year themes. So I think you know you will see these themes playing out in Singapore uh, for for quite a few years. Uh, I think we will continue to see the acceleration uh, of uh, of AI, um, and I think you're going to see a lot more use cases of that coming through. Um, and I also think you will see a lot more uh, more regional M&A as well as companies look to boost growth from a, from a slower domestic market. Uh, but in addition uh, to these three themes, we think there is uh, also more potential for uh, further GLC restructuring. We saw that uh, theme kind of uh, accelerating from, uh, from post-COVID. And I think there is still a little bit more of that to uh, run. Um, the couple of sectors that we are focused on going into next year uh, uh, would be the streets, uh, which have been beaten down quite a bit, as well as tech manufacturing, which has also been beaten down. Uh, for the REITs, uh, their dividend yield spread to risk free is now amongst the lowest range it has been since around 2015. So if you, know, if you do see some rate cuts coming through in the horizon, uh, that trend can reverse. Uh, also for the tech, tech manufacturing, uh, a lot of the excess inventories that has been built up over the years uh, has been falling. Uh, so I think that should also catalyze some demand. Great. Thanks, Dylan. Anand, in your latest ASEAN fortnightly strategy, what are the major highlights and themes? Yeah, morning, Habin. Morning, everyone. So, you know, there's, there's no doubt that global risk sentiment uh, is improving, uh, has been improving for the last couple of weeks, actually, with, uh, you know, peak rates uh, and also, you know, much, much better uh, inflation data that's indicative of uh, a soft landing for the U.S. Uh, next year. Now, the, the filter down to ASEAN, though, has been more muted. I mean, ASEAN markets are uh, closing the year on a firmer footing than they've been for the last few months. But I would say the, the performance has been, remains quite mixed, and that's quite evident for the last two weeks as well. You, know, you see markets like Indonesia and the Philippines 
showing some recovery on, on positive macro uh, indicators, uh, firm GDP, you know, declining inflation, uh, strengthening currencies. And then you see a country like Thailand, which is, you know, sort of pulling back a little bit due to disappointing GDP. Uh, so, you know, it, it is really uh, different strokes for, for different sto- uh, folks in ASEAN right now. I think uh, for us, uh, you know, third quarter resulting season uh, has come to a close. It has been fairly non-eventful, I would say, in, in terms of uh, corporate reporting. I would say the, the sectors that we continue to like uh, on, a, on a regional basis uh, would be things like banks uh, and also consumer, I think, uh, which has been uh, you know, quite badly battered by rising interest rates. Maybe time to take a closer look at names in consumer across the region uh, as we go into uh, 2024 when you know, rates could, could start to come down uh, and that could be quite stimulatory. Uh, in terms of recent rating changes, uh, mostly centered in Malaysia, where we've seen a flurry of uh, results announcements in the last couple of uh, days. Uh, so in Malaysia, we've raised uh, ratings uh, for stocks uh, like uh, AMMB uh, in the banking sector uh, to buy uh, from hold. Also, Farm Fresh uh, in the consumer says uh, has been raised to buy as well uh, as uh, average selling prices have come off, uh, improving the margin outlook. Uh, elsewhere, we've cut uh, Malakoff and uh, Petronas Chemicals to sell uh, as the commodity cycle uh, looks to be quite negative for both of them. Uh, and finally, to round off, uh, we have uh, initiated uh, in Thailand as well uh, in the energy space in terms of PTT uh, and BCPG uh, with a buy rating. So Anna, for your top buy list, um, any key changes and names that you're pushing? Uh, as we go into the end of the year, nothing major yet. I think all the heads of research will be publishing their year ahead strategies uh, in the coming weeks, and there could be some changes in that. But for now, we continue to like, as I mentioned, those two core sectors, um, uh, banks, uh, things like DBS, Mandiri uh, in Malaysia, uh, something like CIMB, which had pretty good results as well, uh, and uh, KTB in, in Thailand. Uh, as well as consumers, so things like CPO, uh, SM uh, in the Philippines, GT Capital there as well. Uh, and as I just mentioned in Malaysia, you know, things like Farm Fresh, we've, we've upgraded. Uh, the third sector I would pay more attention to going into 2024 would be tech, definitely with uh, interest rates looking to have peaked, uh, the semiconductor cycle turning, tech stocks uh, are going to be, I think, back on investors' radar screens uh, in a big way. So I think we've, you know, in the last few weeks, we've upgraded stocks like Venture. Uh, Franken as well, we've raised the target price. Uh, and in Malaysia, we're watching things like Inari um, as well as Fronken and Great Tech uh, and Vitrox closely to see uh, for, uh, waiting for the inflection point, I guess, in terms of earnings uh, to upgrade. Great, thanks, Anand. Jeremy, the Petronas latest report um, and the third quarter results, what are the main highlights? Will Petronas be increasing CAPEX spending for next year? Good morning, everyone. Uh, so going through Petronas third quarter results, uh, third quarter corner profits stood at about uh, twenty two point one billion, uh, plus seventeen percent quarter on quarter, negative twenty three percent year on year. A cumulative nine months corner profit stands at about sixty three billion, negative thirteen percent year on year. Uh, the stronger quarter on quarter results, weaker year on year results were pretty much in line, uh, pretty much in tandem with uh, stronger crude oil prices in third quarter, averaging at about eighty six dollars per barrel. Uh, higher than uh, second quarter's uh, $78 per barrel. Nine months uh, 
2023 total capex stood at 34.3 billion. It's it's a plus 25% year on year with about 16%, about 5.5 billion ringgit allocated for decarbonization and new energy initiatives as the group aspires to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050. We highlight that the bulk of the group's capex is usually backloaded in fourth quarter annually. Nine months, 23 domestic capex mix stood at 16.4 billion, which is a 37% year on year rise. And earlier this year, Petronas has mentioned that he has planned a capex of 300 billion over the next five years from 2023 to 2027, with about 20% allocated into decarbonization and energy transition activities. This implies an average of about 60 billion uh, capex annually, with 48 billion invested into core hydrocarbon businesses. As at end 2023, uh, end September 2023, Petrona sits on a net cash position of about uh, 97 billion. And overall, we maintain overweight on the Malaysian oil and gas sector. Our in-house brand assumptions for 2023-2024 sense at USD $85.80 per barrel. Our topics are Yinsen, Velasto, and Wasco. Yeah, that's all from me. Great. Thanks, Jeremy. Rachel, you have several year ahead sector reports for the Philippines, including the banks, telcos, consumer and properties. So of the sectors, which are you most bullish on for next year? And um, which sectors will likely underperform? Hi, good morning. Um, so for, um, among the sectors, like the conglomerate property and banking sectors, so we expect upside to be macro-driven for the conglomerate sector with Maybank forecasting GDP growth to be at 5.8% in 2023 uh, and underpinned by projected 5.5% uh, growth in domestic consumption. So improvement in consumption alone should be sufficient to boost the NAVs of conglomerates, particularly those with the most exposure to improvement in consumption and rise in mobility. We maintain our positive outlook on the property sector, given double-digit growth forecast for 2024. This will be led by the mall segment, supporting our thesis that landlords will continue to outperform developers. For the banking sector, while well, we have a neutral call, we have select names that we believe can outperform, particularly given that the higher margins are expected to stay higher for longer and lending growth is expected to be improving. We are also quite selective on consumer names given potential impact still of El Nino, which could spill towards first quarter of 2024, and neutral on telcos given intense competition and weakness in the core telco business, which could impact near-term stock performance. So Rachel, if you were just to, if you were just asked to pick top uh, five names for next year, um, can you share which picks? Sure, sure. So we continue to advocate for consumption-based exposure. So via FM, BDO, GT Capital, Bloom, and Jollibee. For our yield, our yield play, we like Globe. So for these stocks, we like Jollibee. Uh, which offers a direct play to domestic consumption and the recovering dining activities. GT Capital offering the best play into the country's auto industry. Uh, inherent low auto ownership in the country plus the bank's more aggressive stance on auto loans should also support continued double-digit growth for GT Capital this year and the next. Bloom is the leading casino operator in the Philippines and its solar is well-positioned to capture industry growth which we expect to be led by locals and permanent foreign residents. SM uh, to be our, still our preferred consumer play as the country's consumption catch basin. And then despite the neutral call in the banking sector, we like BDO as its more aggressive growth strategy, the consumer lending space, along with its high CASA, could potentially offset the drug from prospective policy rate cuts on its margins. 
Great, thanks, Rachel. That's all we have for today. Have a good week ahead. For more information, contact a trading representative at Maybank or access our research reports on our trading platform. I'm Noel Limonazian Speaks by Maybank.